Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He is a college consultant, a founder of Taming the High Cost of College, and the owner of Baldridge College Solutions. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hi, thanks for having me. Just give people a little bit of background about what you've learned and uh, how you've kind of built up this expertise in the whole area of uh, planning for and paying for college. All right. So I, uh, I'm a financial advisor as well, and I started uh, you know, financial advising about 22, three years ago now. Um, and I had a lot of clients that would ask me questions about you know, general financial stuff. Occasionally we get you know, questions around college. And when we had a young client, someone with a you know, two-year-old, four-year-old, the answers are pretty easy about saving and investing and that type of training. You know, if you earn your CFP or any number of designations and you are trained on you know, how investments work and time value money and that type of thing. But for my clients who had 17 or 18-year-olds who were you know, right there and saying, we've got to figure out how to pay for college right now, it's not saving and investing as much as it is other things, and I wasn't able to help very much. So as I started learning more, I realized that there's a whole lot that families can do around college, especially in the late stages, um, whether they've saved and invested or whether they've not saved and invested, there's still a lot that they need to do in order to make college affordable. So over the last 10 years, I've been kind of working with families one-on-one and helping them with uh, college. And then, of course, I launched my website as well, Taming the High Cost of College, where I provide you know, resources and articles and that type of thing. Um, so okay. you know, I've been involved for about 10 years, and there's all, like, like I said, there's all kinds of things that you know, I'm sure we'll be talking about that families can do. So let's take a broad view of college these days. Uh, the numbers are higher than they've ever been, but the amount of debt is the highest it's ever been. It seems to be growing at a very fast rate. Are people entering college better prepared or worse prepared financially than in the past? Um, well, I guess the game has changed, and maybe that's the problem more than, you know, past, you know, in the past, you know, when I, when I went to college, I was able to earn in the summertime, you know, enough to cover tuition and part of my room and board, and then just with a basic loan, I was able to, you know, make college happen. That's nearly impossible for a typical high school kid these days where you're just not going to be able to earn enough. The prices have gone up so quickly, both public schools and private schools, that it's just, like I said, it's just nearly impossible. So they've kind of pushed it on the parents now more than they have in the past. And, uh, and so, I, you know, again, so I guess the, the challenges are a lot higher. I think people are more able to meet the challenges, but again, it's, you know, it's kind of just a different game. And it's, over the 90s, you know, late 80s, 90s, the prices rose very quickly. You know, and even, I guess, they're starting to slow down now, though. As they're raising prices now, a lot of schools are not able to get the, the higher prices, so they turn around and give it back in the form of scholarships and grants and other discounts. So, the so you see, you see a change. In, less. You see a change That's, in the atmosphere then that. Uh, they just can't keep raising prices at the le- level they were before because there's resistance now. And are people exactly. making the decision, maybe it's not worth it, 
to pay these huge amounts for these uh, elite private schools? Is that kind of coming into effect, or is it more hitting in the middle-level colleges? You hear the high-end colleges still have very, very low acceptance rates, you know, four, five, six percent. So they seem to have plenty of applicants. Is the this crunch right, coming more applicants. in the middle-level colleges? Right. Yeah, for sure. It's once you get to the high level, you know, the the highly elite colleges, the top, you know, twenty-five, thirty colleges. Um, their price tags are very high, but if you, you know, have a need, you know, if your income isn't, you know, real high, there's a good chance you're going to get substantial scholarships. So you're not going to pay that really high price tag. And of course, the elite colleges have huge endowments in the billions of dollars, and they can afford to help students that need financial assistance. The challenge is when we get to the typical college, you know, again, those 30 out of the, what, 4,000 or so that offer four-year degrees, you know, those 30, 50 colleges at the very top are not very typical. The typical college needs to have a certain amount of revenue coming in in order to balance the books and pay the staff and, and actually run as a business. Therefore, they need to get some revenue from students or parents somehow. Yeah. Right, well, let's get into some of the specifics, t- starting at the beginning, about what people can do to prepare for this enormous uh, college uh, expense out there. The first thing is saving and investing. So let's go through some of the main ways and the pros and cons of them and how people can use the things that are out there. The first one on saving and investing would be 529 plans. So there's two types. Mm-hmm. There's sa- savings plans and then there's prepaid tuition plans. So let's talk about the savings plans. There's so many of them out there. How do you pick whether you should get the one from your own state or another state and how you should invest the money within that 529 plan? Right. Well, and again, that's generally speaking, your in-state plan may offer some additional benefits that your out-of-state plans that do not. So you need to explore and understand what your in-state plan, you know, what the benefits are. There may be tax deductions. There may be, you know, additional funds deposited like a matching type of program. Um, and then on top of that, it may give you additional benefits around state aid. But generally, you can use any 529 plan in any state for any college. So if your state's, benefit, state's plan doesn't offer enough benefits to make it a, you know, the best choice, you're certainly welcome to choose a different state's plan uh, and it will work very similarly in, as far as the federal tax benefits. And again, a lot of states don't offer, don't have taxes, and therefore they don't have tax benefits. Um, and then some states also just choose not to offer benefits, and therefore those states they could choose from anywhere um, and make things. Do you work have some well. favorites? Do, do you have some favorite five twenty nine plan states that you think offer the best deal as far as fees and? investment options uh, if you were to choose any in the country? Um, yeah, well, there's a lots of low-cost plans now, and I think you need to get the up-to-date information. But there's a lot of plans that are offered, you know, through various companies, and I, you know, I don't think I really want to get into re- recommending investment advice at, at this point. So um, I think I'm going to pass on that question. But, again, there's lots of great resources out there. Um, savingforcollege.com has all the different 529s and all kinds of um, data on you know, what they cost and how they work. Yeah, 
if you've built up a good amount in a factor and unplanned by the time you get to college, is that typically a disadvantage as far as qualifying for financial aid? Typically, no. Um, can it be a disadvantage? Yes, but most of the time it's not. Um, occasionally it'll come back, but again, one of the challenges is by having a 529 or, you know, and 529 just one example, but you could also have just a savings account or some sort of investment, um, or you could uh, have a high income, and there's all kinds of reasons why you may not qualify for need-based aid is what we're talking about. And so a 529 and those types of things may limit the amount of need-based aid, but you already may be disqualified from need-based aid because you have high income, as an example, or you're choosing a relatively low state school, or the college that you're considering doesn't really offer much need-based aid. So even though you qualify for it, the college doesn't have much to give you. So there's lots of reasons why you really need to understand the colleges that you're considering and how they treat financial aid and what you're likely to receive. You know, again, as an example, it wouldn't be unusual for a state school to say, yes, you need an additional $5,000. We agree, based on the math, that you need more money. Unfortunately, we don't have it, and therefore we're going to gap you is what that's, you know, the term for that is being gapped, which means although you can demonstrate you need, say, $10,000, you may only receive five or zero, depending on the state and the formulas and the and, uh a relative uh, situation. The gap's been going up, and state aid has been going down to some extent, and therefore the gap's been rising? Um, yeah, I mean, certainly there's been a lot shifting as far as, you know, more and more is becoming on the parent and or student. Uh, state budgets are tighter and tighter, so a lot of the aid that used to come directly from the state um, and support the state schools isn't there, so they've had to raise tuition at those schools. Um, and private schools, of course, are under a lot of pressure in general, uh, so their their costs have been going up as well. Yeah. Okay, and, and then how about prepaid uh, tuition plans? Uh, I think about 18 states have those now. Is that often a good option? It's occasionally a good option, and my recommendation is you really understand you know, what the, how that option works and what the fine print is. And again, because once you go to those options, a lot of times you're getting benefits at a local state school and that's it, or an equivalent dollar amount if you would go, choose to go somewhere else in the state. And sometimes you can't even take it out of state. So you need to really understand the fine print. Um, a lot of states started these programs and a number of them have stopped them because they, again, if the benefits are too good to be true, that means it's costing the state a lot of money and they can't afford to run the plans, so they kind of back out. Um, so I would uh, caution people. I mean, I've seen some really good deals, but I've seen a lot of people feel like they've been painted into a corner because they lived in one state for a while and moved to a different state, and now they've got this prepaid plan in a state that's far away and only eligible at that state. And so there's a lot of downside to the prepaid plans as well. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He is a college consultant. Uh, He is the founder of Taming the High Cost of College, which is a website. 
Uh, he's a certified financial planner uh, who helps people with all these issues about college. We'll be back after this. When it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person is on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to get matched with quality candidates who are most qualified for the position you have open. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and was amazed at how fast the perfect candidates I was looking for showed up. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the person who best fits your role. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers, so LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for, which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Sure, your LinkedIn Jobs matches are based on skills and background, but also on the candidate's interests, activities, and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant, qualified candidates for your position. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to interview, make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering well-suited hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash moneyanswers and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash moneyanswers. Terms and conditions apply. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Attention heroes, current and former firefighters, law enforcement, military, medical, or educational professionals. Heroes can receive rewards averaging over $2,500 when they buy, sell, or refinance a home. Heroes come first. Along with the Homes for Heroes is the nation's largest hero reward program. Their mission is to provide extraordinary savings to heroes who provide extraordinary services to our nation and its communities every day. Learn how you can purchase a home for no down payment, no closing costs, and get money back at closing. Find out how you can own for less than you may pay for rent. Get your hero rewards at heroescomefirst.com. That's heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, comefirst.com, 888-437-6114. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. 
My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He is a college consultant, founder of the website TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com. Um, and welcome back to the show, Brad. Hey. Tell people specifically what kind of services you offer, and, and do you do it all over the country or just where you're located? Yeah, so I, uh, again, I help families with the, what I would call late-stage college planning. In other words, you've got a high school, you know, say freshman, sophomore, junior, um, ideally a little sooner. I do help, you know, parents of seniors as well, but, uh, again, I would recommend starting sooner than that. And I help people figure, that, figure out this whole game as far as, you know, visits and financial aid, need-based aid, merit aid, loans, tax planning, all the different pieces that can go into a, a good college plan uh, and help them make college more affordable. And, again, many parents are trying to, you know, send, this, send their students to relatively expensive schools. They, they don't really want to say no. They just need to figure out the best way to do it. So, um, so I help people all over the country. Um, I'm based here in Milwaukee, so certainly you're welcome to come to my office, but certainly not required. So th what you do is not something done by the college counselor at a high school, right? They don't get into all this financial part. They're pretty much helping you pick the school and apply for it, but all this financial part, you're pretty much on your own. Is that right? That's true, right? So what makes me very unique and different than a lot of college counselors out there is I work primarily with the parents and understanding what the parents can afford and saving and investing and filling out financial aid forms and all that type of thing. There's other college counselors out there that help students, and they would focus on things like writing essays or choosing a major, choosing a career, choosing colleges, that type of thing. But they're mostly working with the student, trying to figure out you know, what they want to be when they grow up and how to get there. Whereas I'm working with the parents, a lot of times I will partner with that type of counselor as well, where I'll figure out how to pay for whatever it is that the other counselor determines is appropriate, whether it's a public school, private school, you know, expensive or not. My goal is to make, you know, to work on the financial side and work with the parents. Yeah. What was your reaction when the college scandal came out with the singer and paying off people and making phony applications through phony uh, athlete, athletic scholarships and all that? What was your, were you surprised by when that all came out? No, I wasn't surprised at all. I mean, there's always been a, an element of pay-to-play uh, involved in higher education, as there is in many other areas, um, where, you know, again, if you have enough money, you might get special medical treatment, you get special education, you get special, you know, the best seats at the sporting events, the, et cetera, et cetera. So that's not unusual. The fact that it got, you know, almost to the point of fraud, I think they took it too far, where, again... There's lots of names on buildings at a lot of colleges, and if you have that same name, there's a good chance you'll get a little bit more than the average bear. How do you think the revelation of this whole scandal is going to change uh, the scholarship and the, the whole application of college process? Um, probably not much in the long run, because there's always been an ongoing challenge for colleges, again, where... They're trying to balance their budgets, and they need to build expensive buildings. And in order to compete, you know, as an example, they might need a very expensive science center. And if they can get well-heeled donors to help pay for those types of buildings, 
then, again, it's not unusual for colleges to say, well, then <laughs> you spent all this money helping us build this building. We'll allow your student. And, again, usually they're bending the rules. They're not outright breaking them. They're just saying, well, your student's not quite academically qualified, but we'll let you in anyway. Um, that type of thing has been going on for years and years. Um, yep. And we're now we're seeing it in an international play as well where colleges are bringing students from all over the world, and most of those students are paying substantially more than the typical student would be paying on campus because they can, and it works well for the colleges in order to raise more revenue. Yeah. Okay, let's get back to uh, what are some of the benefits you might be able to get from your own state uh, as far as in-state schools loans and grants, what, what are some things people can look for inside their own state? Yeah, so every state has a kind of a different menu. Some, some states are more generous than others. Again, just like the 529 benefits may or may not be strong in your state, there's also some states offer loans that are as good or better than the federal loans. Some states offer scholarships. I know here in Wisconsin they offer a scholarship to the top student of the graduating class um, in smaller schools, and as the schools get larger, they offer that same scholarship to you know two or three or four students at the largest schools. Um, so that's something you just need to be aware of. Now, that particular scholarship has rules. You can't go. It's only usable if you stay in state. So if you take, choose an out-of-state school, it's not available. Again, loans are available at many places. There may be grants and scholarships available at, for low income and also for high income. There, so there's lots of and then reciprocity. Many um, states make agreements with other states that say, you know, essentially, you, you know, you have a school that offers this and we have a school that offers that, so let's share resources and we'll take students from across the border at, the, at an in-state rate. Um, Are there... Now that's expanding where more and more schools as a way to attract students are trying to attract the out-of-state student. Yeah. There's so many different programs and so many different loans and so many different scholarships. Is there a central database in each state where people can see what's available? Not that I'm aware of. Now, every state has a education department of some sort who's in charge of running, running the state schools and providing, you know, the scholarships and all the benefits. So there's a, an agency, an education agency, typically in every state, but they aren't necessarily the resources for all the other state benefits like 529s and reciprocity and, you know, some of that doesn't fall under their purview and therefore they don't have that information. So I'm not aware of anything that has, you know, everything. It's going to be a little bit of a, and again, if it, locally in your state, most of the high school counselors would be a good resource or the local colleges also with their financial aid offices and, and uh, advisors would know quite a bit about their home state. The challenge yeah. is it's really hard to know everything about every state, so yeah. you may need to talk to a couple people to get all the information. So let's talk about scholarships. So how do you know when it's worth it to spend the effort applying for scholarships and when it's not worth it? 
Yeah, so that's, I think that's a challenge. Uh, I've helped about 250 families over the last 10 years, and maybe five or six of those 250 did really, really well with scholarships. You know, so as an example, of those five or six, one or two of them, you know, won a full ride at a particular college, let's say. I had one family where they applied to 40 scholarships and they won seven and the, for a total value of $39,000. I've had many, many, many families where they win one or two scholarships for 5000 a year or a 10000 one time, that type of thing. Um, but there's probably at least half or more that either don't pursue scholarships or don't win scholarships in any, of any sort. Sometimes it's because they didn't do it, but a lot of times they just didn't do it well. And I think families really need to understand, you know, sometimes scholarships is a great pursuit. Sometimes scholarships is kind of a waste of time. It has a lot to do with the student and, you know, how qualified they are. And you want to look at the college itself and what type of scholarships they are offering and how motivated is the student. You know, I've had a lot of Families say things like, well, it's, you know, my student's job. Little Johnny's going to get all these scholarships, except most students have no idea how to pursue scholarships. They've never raised funds. They've never pursued anything like this before. Often they get overwhelmed, and, of course, they're busy as well. If typically you're in your junior and senior year of high school when you've got a lot of AP courses and prom and everything else going on. So, again, it's not like most families intend to ignore scholarships, but by the time they really get to work on it, they realize that they're too late or they haven't done enough, and then they kind of move on. You have um, a guide that you can offer people about scholarships? Tell I people do. about that at your website. So, right, it's uh, at tamingthehighcostofcollege.com slash scholarships. I have the scholarship guide for busy parents, and it's uh, four videos, each one about 10 minutes long, that kind of explains the different types of scholarships, and which types might be a good fit for you. And then ultimately, it gives you enough information so that as a parent, you can decide if scholarships should be a big piece of your work or a small piece of what you're doing, or if you should just write it off and say, you know what, we're better off you know, having the student work and earn you know, $10 an hour for sure instead of maybe trying for scholarships and not really being very successful. Um, so that, again, is available on my website. You, you just sign up. There's no cost, and you can uh, learn a lot more about how scholarships work and so that you can plug them in accordingly. Very good. That could be very helpful to a lot of people. We're going to take a break. Uh, my guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He is a college consultant. His website that you can find out more, including what we just referred to about scholarships, is called tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. We'll be back after this. When it's time to make a hire for your small business, naturally you want to find the best person for the job. Odds are that person's on LinkedIn. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to get matched with quality candidates who are most qualified for the position you have open. I tried LinkedIn Jobs and was amazed at how fast the perfect candidates I was looking for showed up. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard skills and soft skills to match you with the person who fits your role the best. People come to LinkedIn every day to learn and advance their careers. So LinkedIn understands what they're interested in and looking for. 
which means when you use LinkedIn Jobs to hire someone, your matches are based on so much more than a resume. Sure, your LinkedIn Jobs matches are based on skills and background, but also on candidates' interests, activities, and passions. Matching lets you quickly get a group of the most relevant, qualified candidates for your position. That way you can focus on the candidates you want to interview and make a quality hire you're excited about. Customers rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering well-suited hires. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash moneyanswers and get $50 off your first post. That's linkedin.com slash moneyanswers. Terms and conditions apply. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest this half, this, for this hour is Brad Baldridge. He is a college consultant. His website is tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Hi, so we've talked about scholarships. The next thing is need-based aid. So how can you know whether you can qualify for need-based aid, and what's the process you take people through for that? Right. So need-based aid is uh, one form of aid that's based on your the family's finances, typically. So it's based on income and assets of mom and dad and the student. Are they kind of the big deciding factors? And... So for some families, if your income and assets are high enough, you're just not going to qualify for aid, or you'll qualify for relatively small amounts of aid. So the challenge is understanding how the process works. You know, so as an example, I have a calculator on my website where you can plug in your income and your various investments and assets, and based on that, you can get a quick estimate of your expected family contribution, which is a technical 
term, which stands for um, about what your family is expected to pay. And from there, you can kind of figure out if you're going to qualify for need-based aid. But I think a lot of people don't really understand how it works, and they assume that they're not going to get aid because, you know, their neighbor or their someone that works with them didn't get aid, and they assume that they're going to be the same. And I've had many people just the opposite, assume that they will get it, and they don't. So the challenge is to base your need-based aid assumptions on the facts instead of anecdotal evidence of how somebody else did it because there's a lot of factors. Again, your income and your assets have an impact as well as the price of the school you're considering, the number of students you have in school at the time. So all these factors, you know, I've seen families earning three hundred and four hundred thousand qualify for aid, and I've seen families earning seventy-five thousand not qualify for aid. So it's a very big moving target, and you really need to, you know, spend the time to understand how it works and make sure you do the best you can there. Because for people that do get the aid, it can be substantial. Most people are probably surprised when they do that expected family contribution calculator, are they usually surprised that, <laughs> that they're going to contribute more than they think or less? What, what usually comes out when they do that EFC calculation? I would say most of the time families are a little shocked in that they're expected to pay more than they feel like they can afford. Um, and that's kind of across the board, and that it's kind of on purpose. So, you know, an EFC of... You know, like a hypothetical example, say if your income is around 75000 and you have typical investments, your EFC might be about ten or $12,000 per year. And if you double that to 150000 of income, your EFC might jump up to like 30000 Now, at every income, most people are a little bit shocked and say, I, I don't think we can really afford that based on our income, which is, you know, again, it's not... Say, they're not saying that you're going to necessarily just use your income to pay for college. They're saying this is what you're expected to pay, and you're going to hopefully have maybe some college savings. You're going to get some tax breaks. You're going to use some of your income. You might need some loans to fill the gaps. Uh, so, And what, the way it works, essentially, is their goal is to say, you know, a family earning $100,000 is going to get slightly less aid than a family earning 90000 who's going to get less aid than a family earning 80000 et cetera, et cetera, all the way down the line. It's not necessarily at any income level, oh, that's easy. I very seldom have someone say, oh, that's all, that's great. I mean, I'm really happy about that. That yep. happens very seldom. Yes, indeed. The next kind of aid is merit aid. So how can you, a student qualify for merit aid? Right. So merit aid is kind of the other side of the coin. So merit aid is based on the student and what the student has accomplished or what their grades are or whatever it might be as a reason that a college may want to provide aid to attract the student to their school. Schools generally compete for the best and strongest students, um, whether it's academics or music talent or athletics or whatever it might be, right? The the strong young quarterback gets pursued by a lot of colleges, and so does the high academic achiever or the talented singer or minorities, and there's all different reasons that colleges are pursuing students, 
Sometimes it's obvious why, and sometimes you may not even know what's happening. Again, as an example, if all the tuba players happen to graduate from a particular college, the band director or the symphony director may be in the admissions office saying, we need to accept tuba players so that I can fill out my musical requirements. And tuba players may get additional scholarships or uh, benefit of the doubt as far as admissions, again, because that's something that the college needs. Every college is trying to build a well-rounded, high-quality class of the best students that they can get. Now, best is the college's opinion of what's best. Again, whether it's academics or um, talents or whatever it is, they want to build the best, you know, the best class they can, and they're going to need athletes and high academic achievers and leaders and followers and music talent and actors and organization, you know, people that can run all the various clubs and organizations and interests that are available on campus. So, the, again, they're trying to build a well-rounded, diverse crowd where they're, um, so they have to kind of pick and choose. And the higher or more prestigious the college, the more likely they get to pick and choose their incoming class and offer merit to who they see as filling the holes that they need filled. Yeah. What role does college testing play today in the SAT scores and all that? Is that an increasing role or decreasing role? Um, that's a tough call. I think some colleges are using it more because it's really hard to compare high schools as an example. If you have two students that got a 4.0 at different high schools, it's really hard to know if, it, you know if they are strong students or if it's a weak high school. Therefore, they use things like test scores as a way to evaluate independent of the high school you know, how strong the student is academically. Now, the challenge, of course, is many students now are doing test prep and getting all kinds of you know, testing advice, and there's been some scandals as far as the actual tests being released and available where students have access to the questions ahead of time. So that's, you know, that's making it more and more challenging. So I think many colleges will continue to use it as a piece of the puzzle. Some colleges are deciding to be test optional as well, though. So there's kind of both camps there. So, again, depending on your goals, you need to really understand, well, do I, you know, do I need to have strong test scores or not? Is it important to the schools I'm interested in? Um, but I often see that where... You know, we're not matched, right? You're either going to have to change your test scores because they're not strong enough, or you're going to have to change your schools. Right now, you're you're not matched up real well, so you're going to, you're going to be disappointed because you're not going to get accepted at the schools that you're shooting for. Yeah, talk a little bit about the whole process of college selection. I mean, there, as you say, four thousand schools. Uh, how can people narrow it down to what's appropriate for them and what they can afford? Yeah, well, I guess the first part of it is it's, you know, you've got to spend some time and effort and legwork. So you need to be doing things like visits, um, college research where you might, you know, use a college database where you can, get, you know, gather information about the colleges you might like, you know, figure out what's going on in your local state schools. For a lot of families, that's kind of a, a good baseline. But don't automatically give up on the privates because a lot of times you can go to a private school 
for a similar price as the, the in-state state school. And now a lot of out-of-state state schools are offering scholarships and other benefits. So even out-of-state state schools are available. So there's a lot of options, and it really boils down to spending the time to understand the process. And I think that's the biggest thing is it's getting more complicated, and it's requiring more time. And as families are busier than they have ever been, of course, but this is you know something else that is demanding both the parents' time and the students' time. And I think a lot of families underestimate how much time they need to put into this, and they don't start early enough. So my recommendation is as far as doing the research is you start in your sophomore year, uh, maybe even freshman year. And again, if your student's not very mature, I'm not saying you're going to do a college visit with your student. But as a parent of a freshman in high school, you certainly can start trying to figure out if you're going to qualify for need-based aid, start understanding merit-based aid based on how, you know, current academics and not what your what your student is. and really just trying to understand all the different options and then as your student matures you know you might do some of the preliminaries as freshman and sophomore and then the junior year when your student is old enough to appreciate a college visit that's when you might start college visits or maybe in the sophomore year and uh because in junior year, in the junior year, you're probably going to need to be doing visits, figuring out scholarships, getting your testing done. In other words, ACT or SAT falls in the junior year. Um, and uh, kind of major and school selection all falls in the junior year. So that in your senior year, you can be applying for financial aid as parents and applying to colleges as the student and kind of finalizing because it all needs to be done by the May of your senior year. So as quickly as your student made it through middle school, they're going to go through high school as well. And before you know it, college is going to be here. So that's probably my number one recommendation. If you don't get anything else out of this, start earlier than you think you need to because you can always slow down. But if you start too late, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of mistakes that are made. Very good. All right, we're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brad Baldridge. He's a college consultant. Uh, His website is tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. You'll see a lot of helpful free resources there as well. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. 
There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brad Baldrige. He's a college consultant. His website is tamingthehighcostofcollege.com. Welcome back to the show, Brad. Hi, thanks for having me. So let's go through the student loan hierarchy, the order in which you should be getting student loans. The first one is subsidized direct student loans. What, what kind of money is available and how do you do that? Right. So there's a direct student loan that's available to just about all incoming freshmen. Unfortunately, as a freshman, you can only borrow 5500 Now, if you show a need, then it's subsidized. And that subsidized portion of the loan the government pays the interest while you're in school. So if you borrow 3000 as a freshman on a subsidized loan and you graduate five years later, you still owe $3,000. Once you graduate, then the interest rate kicks in and then you've got 10 years to repay it like any other loan. But while you're in school, you're not paying any interest. You can also get an unsubsidized direct loan, but then and you still don't have to make payments, but then the interest is accrued so in an unsubsidized loan, you buy over 3000 as a freshman and you graduate five years later. You may owe $4,000 because of all the interest you didn't pay over those years would be added on to the principal when you start repayment. Now, that loan is at a very attractive interest rate, typically. Um, it's currently 5.05, and it's looking like they're going to they're announce a new interest rate in the next... Uh, month or so, and it looks like it'll be around 4.6 coming up. Um, so 95% of the time, that's the first loan that I'm recommending to families. It's, you know, it's not always perfect, but again, it's a loan to the student, paid back by the student. Mom and dad are not involved, and again, just about every student qualifies. And what's the maximum the you can get? The challenge, of course, is that it's only 5,500. 5500 in, in subsidized. How about the direct, the unsubsidized? What's the amount there? Oh. Well, it's 5500 total between subsidized and unsubsidized. I see. So okay. if you show a need, you'll get 3500 subsidized and 2000 unsubsidized. If you don't show a need, you'll get, all, you get the full 5500 unsubsidized. Yeah. So that's a start, um, but that's not going to get you to, you know, 5500 is not going to get you very far. So the next level. Right, exactly. Parent plus loans. So what are the pros right. and cons After of that, the federal plus government loans. offers the PLUS loan. So both of the loans we've been talking about so far are both through the federal government. At the PLUS loan, you can borrow up to the cost of attendance minus any other aid. So if your student you know, is at one of the most expensive schools, at 75000 a year, <clears throat> theoretically, mom and dad could borrow you know, $70,000 on a PLUS loan and pay for school with the loan. And again, I'm not saying you should, I'm saying you could, um, but the PLUS loan is a loan that's available for most families to fill the gap, whatever the gap might be. Um, now, that loan is a loan to the parents, paid back by the parents, 
the student's not involved. And there's no easy way to transfer that loan to the student once he graduates. So parents need to understand that they're going to be responsible for it. And if it doesn't get paid, even if you give the payment book to the student and say, here, you're responsible, if the student doesn't pay, they come looking for mom and dad, not the student. And the next level would be private student loans, not federal at all. Those are they tend to be higher interest rate. What are, what's the pros and cons of private student loans? Right. So, again, the I guess to put it into context, the, currently the plus loan, the, the parent loan, is at seven point six. So the student could borrow at five. The parent could borrow at seven point six. Every way the numbers stand right now. And then another option is you can go to the private market, a bank or a credit union, and borrow money. Now, generally, they base the credit or the base the rate based on the parent's credit rating. So if the parents are really strong, they may be able to borrow money at a lesser cost privately than going through the federal government. If the parents aren't as strong, then a lot of times it'll cost you more. So that's one consideration. The other big consideration is the private loans could have the student and the parent on them. So it could be primarily the student's responsibility, but the parent is a cosigner. So some families don't want to be borrowing all the money in their own name, and this gives you the opportunity to have the student, at least to start with, be responsible for the loan. And again, if the, if the student defaults on this loan, they're also going to come and track down the parents. Yeah. In general, the student cannot borrow much more than that 5500 that we talked about without parents signing or co-signing. So the horror stories that we hear of, you know, kids graduating with 100000 or more in debt, generally that was facilitated by the parents because they were either signing or co-signing some of the loans. Or in other instances, it might be grad school of some sort. Again, once you get to grad school, students are more independent and they can sign their own loans and, and get themselves in trouble as well. But the typical yep. student can't borrow much more than $30,000 in their own name without mom and dad helping somehow. So if those aren't enough, let's go to the other kinds of loans people take for student uh, expenses. Home equity lines of credit, what are the pros and cons of that? Right. So, yeah, in addition to that, a lot of, I have a lot of parents say, well, I can borrow money at lower cost or better terms because of, again, home equity, refinancing a mortgage, um, or having other assets that you can borrow money against, a lot of times you can get the money at a very low cost. The challenge, of course, again, is it's mom and dad borrowing the money and not the student. So you know, sometimes we, parents have the opinion that it, you know, college is not their problem, the student's going to have to borrow their own money and deal with it themselves. Other times parents and students are kind of working in a partnership where they're saying, well, if we can borrow money, you know, by, using, by leveraging the parents' good credit or by leveraging the parents' home equity or those types of things, if we can save money, we're going to do that. So then you need to explore, of course, all the different options, whether, again, mortgage, home, lines of credit, second mortgages, or even borrowing against other assets like investments or other things as well where you might be able to get, because they're secured, a, a very strong or good rate relative to the relatively high plus loan rate from the federal government. And how about retirement plans, either 401ks or IRAs? Is that a good idea to borrow against those for college? Uh, generally not. 
Now, I will make the exception for someone that kind of uses it on purpose. You know, as an example, I might be working with families who say, you know, we're going to max out our 401k. We're going to put extra money in there so that we have it available later to borrow it out. Um, and that would be a relatively advanced strategy. And the reason you might do that is you might be eligible for more financial aid by essentially saving the money inside a retirement plan instead of saving the money in a 529 or some other program where it will have an impact on your aid. Now, that being said, you really need to understand how you're going to get it back out again because there's lots of challenges as far as being 59 and a half and other rules on how to get the money out again. So that would be a pretty advanced strategy. What I don't recommend is someone saying, well, I don't know where I'm possibly going to get the money, so in an emergency, I'm just going to borrow from my 401k. That's, That's almost never a good idea. You're probably better off with the plus loan. But in some rare instances where it's part of a bigger plan and you decide to, again, overfund your retirement, put extra money in your retirement so that you have money available for college, um, that can be a strategy that works pretty well. In about two minutes we have left, just kind of summarize the difference it would make for people to take the advice you've talked about in this last hour versus not taking it as they approach college. Yeah, I would say for many families it's, Again, potentially stretching a little bit and spending a, and choosing that higher price school. I get a lot of families that come to me and say, you know, we're looking at this school versus the state school, and the you know the school they really want costs ten thousand a year more or twenty thousand a year more, and they're trying to figure out if they can make it happen and still afford retirement, as an example. And again, a lot of times the answer is yes if you you know work really hard to make your retirement as efficient as possible and you work really hard to make college as efficient as possible, you know, perhaps you can do both. But in most cases, all we're really talking about is spending the time and and effort to understand how to make it as efficient as possible while still getting the best education for your children. Very good. Well, thanks so much. It's a complicated process, but Brad can help people go, go through the whole thing. My guest this hour has been Brad Baldridge, a college consultant, His website is TamingTheHighCostOfCollege.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Brad. Thank you. And we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.MoneyAnswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.